the choir has really, uh, been intensely preparing for the Rejoice concert, which is tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And uh, uh, we expect to see you all there. No, it's tonight, actually, tonight. I was going to show up tomorrow night. It's tonight, 7 o'clock. One of the things we learned in rehearsal, very intense preparations going on. Uh, Jerry has uh, been very, very patient with us. Um, I didn't expect laughter at that point. <laughs> One of the things we learned is that uh, in this crucial moment here, uh, we uh, finished singing what's known as the pulpit hymn, and uh, the brass sit down and Kay makes her way from the organ down there. Uh, notice that uh, he never allows Kay to sit next to the aisle. Don't fence me in. Uh, but um, uh, Kay kicks off her shoes. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. Okay. And when she thinks that the sermon's almost done, then she works them on. And then, nope, it's not over, so she kicks them off again. And... Uh, so that's why we always pause before the preacher says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now you know. <laughs> Traditionally, uh, the second Sunday of Advent is when we uh, pay attention to John the Baptizer. And we have a very uh, direct and abrupt introduction to him in the Gospel of Mark. Nothing about the manger of Bethlehem, uh, nothing about the genealogy that Matthew uh, treats us with, no, nothing uh, of uh, any sort of uh, cosmic understanding. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word God was God, that John brings us. No, Mark just gets right to the point. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. John the Baptizer came, crying in the wilderness, using the words of Isaiah, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We heard versions of that pronouncement twice today uh, from uh, Isaiah 40, first of all, in what's known as the, as the third book of Isaiah. It's the book of consolation or, or comfort. And, and what we know is the whole book of Isaiah, collection of prophetic writings in the Isaiah tradition. Isaiah 40 begins... With that, to the exilic people, the people that were far from the homeland, and maybe a couple generations out from captivity by Babylon, and uh, maybe most of the people that had been taken away from their, their homeland um, had died. And so, and so the legends and the faith and the identity of the, uh, of the people of God were was fractured and perhaps becoming dissipated by intermarriage and, and mixing with the culture of Babylonia. In the midst of this, the prophet, the prophet calls to those who are, are so lost, to those who are grieving, to those who are, are living without hope uh, with themselves, manifested in so many different ways as usually happens when a people becomes disintegrated and disconnected from each other. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. He's speaking the Lord's words and the Lord's truth. And maybe for the prophet that said this, Isaiah we call him, it came from times of meditation and contemplation, times of prayer, times of beseeching, maybe with the Psalms that we turn to sometimes. How long, O Lord, how long? 
Why are you angry with us? And uh, don't you hear our cries? Don't you know how we are being humiliated? Don't you know how we are being scattered? Don't you know that, uh, that we wander again and again from our part of the covenant, but we can't help it? We, we need a new word from you. And as Judy read for us, and we responded in this Psalm 85, there was a word from the Lord, a word that came through that psalm, that hymn, that song that they sang. Maybe itself a, um, a compilation or a digestion of spiritual truths mixed with their own witness of how God had been present in their lives for generations. And we heard those those words about righteousness. This is how the Lord will come to you. That as you practice righteousness, you will prepare the path for the Lord. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Righteousness, peace, the words turn up again and again in the, in the response part of that psalm. And they invite us to, uh, to realize that, that the Lord is listening and the Lord has given through Scripture and through the faithfulness of His people instructions on how to prepare for the way of the Lord. To make a path, to make it easy and attractive for the Lord to come into the world, into our lives. The text from Second Peter is is much later than uh, what we heard from Isaiah. The church has formed in many different ways, and, and uh, Second Peter is written to a beleaguered people suffering persecution. And maybe, maybe echoing in their own way, how long, O oh Lord, how long must we suffer? How long must, must we dwell in this land and in this world where power and authority is so harsh on us? We are being martyred. We are being persecuted. We are being under surveillance all the, all the day long. We don't know who to trust. And, uh, and we, we pray and we cry to you. We know about the day of the Lord. We have read the scriptures and we, we know that there is a promised day coming when you will come and empower and might and save us. You will save us. You are our salvation. But how long? How long will that be? Maybe they were echoing a truth and maybe all of us feel that you can bear almost anything, almost any kind of suffering if you know that there is an end. And all the more if you know when that end will be. I'm going to be a millionaire someday when, when they produce this invention that I thought of in the dentist chair one day. Drilling and digging and I think intentionally hurting me. I thought, I wanted to ask him, how long is this going to be, Doc? That's what it would have sounded like. And then this great idea came to me. I, I know you won't take it yourself and run, but if on the wall of the dentist's office there was a, there was a time elapsed, you know, like you see on TED Talk sometimes, you know, that, uh, that this is almost done and there will only be, you know, three more minutes that you'll have to endure this suffering. How much easier would it be to take that 
What do you think, Christy? You think that would... No. That's part of the fun or so. Oh, navigation's recalculating. Oh, my goodness. I don't think I wanted to know that. I always thought the dentist knew how long it would be until until it was done and he would put that drill aside for the last time. Nope, no, a little more there. Oh! Well, anyway, how long? How long? And maybe the word that they got from the Lord, I'm recalculating, I'm recalculating. <laughs> I will come, I will come, but uh, it will be in my own time. In the letter in, in Second Peter, Peter, I guess, it says, you know, the Lord thinks in time in different ways than you do. A day and in, in our world is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, and uh, we are talking about the Lord God, the uh, creator of the world. He dwells in a different reality. But this is what you can do. You can live lives of justice and godliness. You can practice the things that you do know about the Lord. That you can prepare for the way of the Lord. And in that way, that your own preparation will be a path for the Lord's coming. Did you catch that final verse and a half? Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things... These things in the day of the Lord, as they understood it then. Strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. You see, his, what we, re, we see is non-response or, or maybe indifference. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, and eventually a, a seasoned leader in the earliest church saw his patience. This is the Lord's mercy. This is, this is the Lord's forbearance on your waywardness. And maybe the echoes of it are, there are some things that you need to do that you're not doing. And I think you know what they are. And as you do those things, the day of the Lord will come. You can feel the resonance with the crying out in the wilderness that John the baptizer did. Prepare the way of the Lord. And the second message that he gave was repent. Repent. Metanoia was the Greek word. It means turn around. Turn around. You're living your life in the wrong direction. Your priorities are upside down. That your uh, activities and your attention are, are not favorable in the Lord's sight. You can do better than that. And you know what you're supposed to be doing. Repent. People responded to uh, John the baptizer. They, they came, they flocked to him by the river Jordan, were baptized. And they wanted to uh, have an outward sign of the way that their hearts, their inner natures were being, were being addressed and the way that they were responding, turning to the Lord. It was a powerful time. That repenting, that turning around. It was a time of uh, recognition of their, of their inner souls, of their sinfulness, of the things they had done and neglected to do that, that were not in favor with the Lord. 
community event almost as, as, as they realized together that there is a better way. And, and I think this is the way to be baptized by John in the river. But then he tells them an important thing. I baptize you with water. I baptize you with water. Yeah, John, thanks. It feels good. It feels good. I feel repentance. I feel relief. I feel a cleansing. I feel a new start. I'm bathed in the Lord's righteousness. What's that? But, John the baptizer says, there is one coming who will baptize you with fire and the Spirit. There is one yet to come. I am not the Messiah. There was one to come. I am preparing the way for the Messiah. Well, the water was enough. I'm not sure if I'm ready for the fire and the spirit. No, there is one who's coming with fire and spirit. What you see in John the baptizer is, is maybe the epitome of what the Jewish faith could bring in the way of, in the way of pure, pure righteousness. In setting aside all the uh, religiosity and in, in giving life day and night and kind of a Nazarite sort of faith, devoting himself to knowing the Lord and knowing himself. In knowing the Lord, he loved the Lord's people. In knowing himself, he knew the human temptations that we all go through. And in spending so much time and so much wakefulness, so much austerity and praise and a lifestyle that was for the Lord and was his faith, he grew a kind of intense vision on what was to be done. Thus his message. And thus is foretelling that there is one yet to come. So we sang the song again, People Look East. This week's verse is furrows, furrows be glad though earth is bare. One more seed is planted there. Give up your strength, the seed to nourish that in course the flower may flourish. People look east and sing today, love the rose is on the way. Maybe Nellie's song in that second stanza answers our question as we encounter those texts and, and hear John the Baptizer's cry echoing down through the ages and across the cultures, prepare the way of the Lord. What shall we do? What shall we do? I think I know what those things mean, but I'm, I'm not sure what that would look like or how relevant it is. Furrows be glad. It's an agrarian image. Maybe in Nellie's England, it was something that most of the people would understand and know what she was talking about. Furrows are 
plowed ridges in fields that have given harvest. And then before the winter sets in and the freezing, the field is plowed, it's turned over. What was on top is turned over and the furrow depth might be 6 to 12 inches. And uh, the idea is to, is to lay under the soil what has been the plant, the roots, the stubble, and new soil brought up from underneath furrows. It leaves ridges on a field. If you walk by it or walk in it, it's, it looks like corduroy from a distance. Furrows, be glad, ridges. What an interesting image. I first encountered that hymn and read that, kind of scratched my head. I knew what a furrow was, but I had to live with that stanza for a while. And it is, and it is so wonderful with poetry, some of the truths started to emerge from that. Furrows are, are dirt or soil. It is fertility. It is, uh, it is the work of, of years gone by. Someone said the whole earth is just one big compost heap. And things are constantly decaying and, and rotting and new things are sprouting up and, and that is the way of the earth and we benefit from that. All the different things in our fields, all the different things in our swamps, especially most of the oxygen in our, in our earth comes from trees? No, algae. Algae, the scum on ponds and swamps. It's composting all the time. Every life has its span and then, then it dies. But yet it keeps giving. As it breaks down and unites with other organisms and, uh, and a whole uh, microbiotic world that are eating those things and living their lives. And, uh, and it is a real mess in there, we would say. But yet we benefit from that. Any and every gardener or farmer knows that it is the soil. It is the soil that is critical to a crop. That it is the soil that gives forth beautiful vegetables and fruits and flowers. Furrows be glad. What looks like is dead and useless really is the potential of life. And the evidence of life lived and given and reconverted into something else. One more seed is planted there. The seed of the prophecy. The seed of John the baptizer. There is one who is coming that will baptize with fire and with spirit. What you feel maybe momentarily and in a, in a surface way, the water on your body, the cleansing in your, in your spirit is going to be transformed. One more seed is planted there. Give of your strength the seed to nourish. Give of what strength? The, the strength of the furrows. Hmm. Wow, Nellie, you're making me think here. Give the strength of your furrows the seed to nourish. Could it be that, that how we have lived and who we are, those things that... Uh, that we've done, those things that have happened to us, those lessons that we've learned, all the 
choices that we've made in our lives, that is the composition of every life. Some things that we would rather not think about, mistakes that we've made, embarrassing moments, little pile of achievements over here that we want to focus on and gives us encouragement. Choices and relationships. Altogether, those things in our lives are compost, composting, aren't they? And as we age and as our spiritual nature is awake and we reflect spiritually, we see that God was in those things. As we become more conscious of God's activity in our lives and the energy and the, and the heat sometimes that, that is in our lives and breaking down some of those things that, that have, that have, um, that have uh, are not truly what we should be giving attention to. They're exposed in, uh, in their waywardness, in their, in their selfishness, but yet turned into something else. And eventually into wisdom, into patience, into receptivity. It's a kind of constant process, should we elect to receive it, of repenting in our lives. Give of your strength. Is that strength? Yeah, it's strength. Strength. Especially those things that have uh, that you've struggled through, people of God. Especially those challenges which seemed insurmountable, people of God. Especially those gaps of, I, I don't think I can do that. I don't have the resources within me. And then to find yourself arriving at a place of peace. And not just acceptance, but maybe a better, a better outcome than, than you had ever imagined or expected. How did that happen, God? It's God. And as we are informed by scriptures like the ones that we've heard today, as we are with God's people, helping us to keep into perspective informally and formally on what is happening in our lives, we are given strength. Strength to persevere step by step. Strength to nourish a pathway for the Savior in our lives. And think of what can happen when a community gathers with that kind of realization. To think of the preparation, the pathway for the coming of God in a new and fresh way. It's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And, and those who have lived and walked with the Lord for a while and gone through that process again and again, the composting of, of things in our lives and also the trusting and the strengthening of the community, all, all those things they weave, weave together find that it is a beautiful thing. A beautiful, fragile thing. A beautiful, fragile, fragrant thing is a flower. Love, the rose, is on the way.
Kate chose to play the arrangement of that in her prelude. We're going to sing it again just momentarily. The rose was was given as a, as a name and image, as dozens of images that have been given to Jesus, the Savior who is coming. And the rose was first given in, in the 16th century, a poet, Robert Herrick. This Jesus who is coming in the manger, so fragile, so vulnerable, but yet so beautiful and fragrant, the gift of God who is coming, the rose. The image is in the Bible, it's Solomon 2.1, I am the rose of Sharon, the beloved says. And maybe also the reference in, in Isaiah, there shall a shoot come from the stump of Jesse, that which seemed to be dead was really dormant, waiting for the right day in the strength of the soil to come and bring forth a shoot. Therefore, people of God, in the furrows of your life, we are invited to care for them, to claim them, to nourish them, to value them, in the season of contemplation to reflect on them. Those things that have happened to us and, uh, and the things that we have made happen, choices, our relationship with each other and people that have gone ahead. And God is in that. You see in the incarnation, it's, it's not separate worlds anymore, but it's one. They come together. That's why we call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. Let's sing, Lo, how a rose they're blooming.